0: I'd like you to look at this first slide for a second. And anybody here who's a chemist or a science teacher? Just curious. Okay, so um, how many of you know what this is? I'll give you a hint. Okay, the first thing, it's, it's actually the chemical formula for what's called acetylsalicylic acid. Okay, yeah, you get it now. Okay, well, here's a couple of hints. The first part is that it's an antipyretic, which means... That it reduces fever. Here's another hint. It's an analgesic, which means it reduces pain. In plain English, it's aspirin. Thank you, David. Aspirin has been called a wonder drug uh, by uh, doctors, in particular over the last 100 years. It's an amazing thing. It's inexpensive. Uh, It's easy to ship. Easy to store. It comes in uh, all kinds of different flavors, packaging. And the reality is most people can tolerate it. In fact, some people actually need it. They're on a daily aspirin regimen to help them with their heart. It's an amazing kind of a thing. The interesting part to me is that as long as the active ingredients are present, no matter what shape, size, color, flavor, whatever that it's in, It works. It makes a difference in people's lives. Question for you Do you ever struggle with your efforts to share the good news about Jesus with other people? If you do, you're not the only one. And here's why because most of us feel uncomfortable. Because we know deep down that the gospel for many people that we care about, those pre Christian, family, and friends that we all have is a hard pill to swallow for them. But, you know, sharing God's love and message of hope with others may be a challenge, but it doesn't have to be a chore. And I'd like to encourage you tonight with a look at how the Apostle Paul shared his faith with a bunch of people that he encountered in the book of Acts chapter 17. Hey, if you have a bulletin this morning, or this morning, sorry, uh, tonight, uh, habit, habit, habit. Okay, if you have a bulletin, uh, there's an outline that I want to encourage you to follow along with as we go through, and we'll be in Acts chapter 17 tonight, just a quick parenthesis around that. I want to encourage all of you to look through Acts 17 and 18, we're usually covering Two chapters a week, and in your Ohana group and your own personal study, I want to encourage you to look at all that. But I'm going to dive in kind of deep here in Acts 17 to look at Paul's experience when he shared his faith with people that he cared about. If you want to effectively reach others for Christ, the first thing you need to do, though, is to care about the lost. You need to care about the lost. Let's look at these verses uh, together. While Paul was waiting in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening To the latest ideas. The Bible says that when Paul arrived in Athens, he was greatly distressed. It really bugged him. It bothered him because there were so many idols that were there in that city. The Greeks, if you remember even like high school history, were famous for the amount of statues and artwork that they produced. Because why? Because they were devout worshipers. They had deified virtually everything, Uh, every emotion, uh, all kinds of activities and concepts so as not to offend any one of them. Now, the Areopagus is actually still there today. In fact, I've got a picture of that area. I don't know if you recognize that young guy. It was actually me. It was taken a long time ago, before I was Danny's youth pastor, okay? But I actually went to Athens, and I remember climbing that hill, okay? It's called the Acropolis. The Areopagus was about halfway up. This was at the top, where they still have what's called the Parthenon, which is still there. It's a magnificent thing that was obviously, uh, you know, they were rehabilitating while I was there at that time. But I found that in a box somewhere this week, and I thought, I can't believe I was actually there. But while some people would have just written this off, meaning if you were in Paul's position and you were there and you encountered people that were so religious about all these different idols, some people would have just written this off as just religious superstition. But Paul saw this differently. He saw this as a deep spiritual insecurity that these people had. So instead of keeping his distance, he decided to engage with these people to... Have conversations with them about spiritual things. Why? Because he could sense that they were lost and he cared enough to do something about it. Many years ago, a man came to our church here and he shared this sentence and I've never forgotten it. He said, the lost word of the church today is lost. Let me say that again. The lost word of the church today is lost. See, our problem is we struggle with accepting the fact that people apart from Jesus are lost. Sometimes the reason we don't share our faith with others, let's face it, is because we really don't believe, or maybe better said, we really don't want to believe what the Bible says about people who are apart from Jesus. They're lost. See, all of us have friends, relatives, people we care about that don't know Jesus, and we have a hard time admitting that to ourselves. They need the Lord. Now, if we're honest, at least I'm honest with myself sometimes, we sometimes will modify our view to kind of assuage our conscience. We'll say things like to ourselves, well... You know, yeah, I know they don't come to my church, but, you know, the main thing is that they're sincere. But how many of you know that you can be sincere, but be sincerely wrong? You can be totally sincere about something and still be incorrect. See, if everyone goes to heaven after they die, then why did Jesus die on the cross? He wouldn't have had to die. The truth is only a personal decision. To make Jesus Christ your Lord, your boss, your leader, will free you from the sins that plague your life. It'll cleanse you and enable you to receive God's free gift of eternal life. This is what Peter said in Acts 4.12. Look at this verse. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So the question I have to ask myself is, do I care enough about people I know that are lost to look for ways of sharing the good news of Jesus with them? By the way, Paul was a busy guy. (laughs) Have you noticed that? He always had something to do, somewhere to go, some people to deal with. And the Bible actually says that right here at the beginning of Acts chapter 17, that he was just there on a stopover, like a layover. Do you know what I'm saying? But once he realized that there were people there that needed Christ, he took the time to talk to them. Someone once said long ago, people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. If you care, you're going to start reaching out. But to do that, there's a second point here from this passage, and that's this. you got to connect with those who will listen. Look look at this next section of verses with me. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So you see, when Paul got his chance to share his faith, he was ready. See, he figured out that the people that he was trying to reach in this particular situation enjoyed talking about and listening to the latest trendy ideas. He would have been super comfortable like in a Starbucks today or in some kind of a think tank kind of environment where people have kind of too much time on their hands. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, and they just want to talk about what the latest ideas are. Instead of blowing these people off or just ignoring them, he found a point of common interest with these people which was that they had an altar to what they called an unknown God. And he used it to connect with these people. So you see, basically, what did he do? He took a topic that was familiar with them, and he used it as a way of grabbing and keeping their attention. It's safe to say that Paul was committed to figuring out ways to connect with people. And that's what we need to do. If you want to be effective in sharing your faith with other people, look for ways to connect with other people. It's obvious that Paul had studied Greek culture. He wasn't Greek, but he had studied it. He had figured out what was important, what was meaningful to these people that he was talking to. And in the same way, we need to pay attention to what's important, what's meaningful to the people that we care about that don't know Jesus yet. Because look, once you know what's interesting to somebody, what matters to them, then it's a lot easier to find common ground where you can actually start a conversation and then lead it to a place where you can talk about Jesus. See. To me, one of the things we need to try to do is figure out how to build bridges instead of burning them, okay? We need to be winsome. Somebody said once, it's kind of cheesy, but it's good. If you want to win some, you need to be winsome, okay? You need to do this in a way that is palatable to the people that you're trying to reach. We need to figure out what are the cultural, what one author called, Cultural touch points. What are those touch points that we can find common ground with somebody? I think this is what Paul meant later in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22 when he said this. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Look, if you know that someone is interested in a particular TV show or a YouTube thing or sports, or cooking, or crafts, or family, or you fill in the blank. If you know someone is interested in that, get to know them on that level first. Now, that's common. We do that anyway, don't we? I mean, we do that, but then we kind of stop there. You know what I'm saying? People in missions work have long used the term the dynamic equivalent. Meaning, when a missionary goes into a foreign country like David was describing there in Thailand, they are interested in looking for a concept, a way of communicating the gospel to them in their own language and within their own cultural framework, their worldview. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to do the same thing. We need to figure out what is the dynamic equivalent that we can use to connect with people and help them understand what we're trying to say to them about Christ. That doesn't always happen instantly, does it? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But I think the key point I'm trying to make here is if we can understand what matters to other people and we can show them that we care about that, then at least we've begun and we've connected with them Which can lead to further conversations about deeper issues. Okay, so you gotta care about the lost, you gotta connect with people, but you also need to learn to communicate the truth in love. This is what Paul did. Follow with me in these next set of verses. Paul continues in this talk. He says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we shouldn't think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. See, once Paul made that connection with those that were willing to listen to him share, he began to steer the conversation to Jesus. It's interesting, if you look at Paul's approach to sharing his faith, it was never quite the same. If he was with Jewish people, he was in the synagogue. He was referring to their scriptures. He was referring to their history and traditions. He found common ground in that way. When he was with these guys, he didn't even refer to that. He found other things. He found things from their culture, things from their own poets to be able to connect the dots with them. But you know, regardless, the centerpiece of Paul's sharing was also always, excuse me, the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because he knew that the message of the gospel is where the power really is. Look, my words, your words, they're going to fall to the ground. The words that are not going to fall to the ground are God's word. That's what's going to make a difference. This is why Paul said to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul did his best to identify with these people in meaningful and relevant ways, but he also skillfully wove the Scripture into what he was sharing in order to get God's truth across. And, you know, I think it's fair to say, I mean, we weren't there. We didn't see his facial expressions or his, hear his tone of voice. I mean, there's some things when you read it, you just don't know, right? But I think it's fair to say that without become over, becoming overly aggressive, or ashamed of his relationship with Christ, Paul effectively shared the love and the message of hope in Jesus to these people. You know, what's interesting is that we have been entrusted to, by God to communicating the truth of the gospel to a culture that no longer believes in absolute truth. Did you get that? That's a huge issue. And by the way, it's not brand new either. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary announced its word of the year. And that word was post-truth. I'm not kidding. This is the definition. Look look, look with me. Post-truth is defined as this. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion or, person, or and personal belief. Translation, even though someone might tell someone else, well, this is true, this is really true, they might say, well, it could be true, but I'm not feeling it, so I don't believe it. Post-truth. And yet we are, we are challenged by God to continue to share and communicate His truth to those who don't know it yet. Now, by the way, our pre-Christian family and friends, relatives, people we work with, and so forth, are by and large entrenched in this viewpoint. Because you know why? Our educational institutions, unless they went to a really good school like our school here, sorry, just a shameless plug. Okay? Unless they did that and have a really clear-cut Christian worldview... We have all been influenced by this because this has been coming slowly but surely for a long, long time. It's the ocean that people are swimming in. You think the fish really know they're in water? You know, that's a little heady kind of a question, but the point is, is that our culture has been moving toward this for decades. The question is, are you prepared to communicate the truth of God's love to people that are in this, that have this mindset. I mentioned a moment ago, the post-truth mindset is not brand new. The reality is, it hasn't just been in decades, it's been centuries. Because the post-truth mindset existed in Athens, where Paul was, when the, this story in the book of Acts was recorded. See, our culture today has people that were just like those people that were meeting with Paul at the Areopagus. He highlights two kind of major groups that were kind of the, 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 the dominant kind of thinkers of that day and age. One were the Epicureans. Now, the Epicureans, again, uh, I guess you could kind of summarize them, that they believed that God might exist. They weren't totally sure. Kind of like today, somebody say, oh, I don't know maybe there's a god out there i don't really know but they believed that he might exist but he was so far away that by the time that those emanations would have come from like outer space or something that it really didn't impact us directly and therefore the epicureans by and large were people that ended up basically thinking and living like eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die meaning i want to make the most i want to go for the gusto and the maximum value and pleasure in life was pleasure. The main thing is to be happy. You know? do, do, do you have friends like that? Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Now, the Stoics, on the other hand, were different. They ended up believing that God was actually in everything, that it was really close, kind of a precursor to what today we'd call pantheism, that God's in everything. But what the Stoics did was they focused on discipline, on self-denial. I mean, we have a word. We'd say if somebody was kind of tough, emotionless, we would call them being Stoic. So you see, there are people like that today, just like there were almost 2,000 years ago when this scene in the book of Acts occurred. See, whether the people that you know are into more of the happiness and pleasure thing they're into clubbing they're into partying they did you know and by the way that could be a nightclub it could be a country club (laughs) how many of you know what i mean okay there's all kinds of people that for whom happiness and pleasure is really the chief end in mind in their life okay whereas there's other people that are more like no discipline sacrifice you know being hardcore that that's really what it's about you know Okay, that's really what what, what really matters most in life. Regardless of who the kind of person is that you're talking to, there are ways to figure out how to share the gospel in a meaningful yet understandable way in their lives. Again, keep in mind, as long as we make sure that the gospel is part of what we share in a palatable way, the active ingredients will be there, and they can make a difference in the lives of the people that are there. See, look, the message, excuse me, the messengers and the methods may change, but the message is always the same. Methods change. The messengers change, but that message needs to stay the same. And our job is to figure out how to do that to reach the people that are in our circle of influence. It's interesting because some people eager to maintain the purity of the Bible's message won't flex in their methods. The sad truth is that they become culturally irrelevant because nobody will listen to them, because they're... The way they talk or the things they refer to or just don't even matter to people out there in, in culture today. On the other hand, you have people that will, they're so eager not to offend people that are their hearers, will water down the gospel message so much that in the end, you don't know what they're talking about. It could just be a kind of a feel-good kind of a thing, and it's like, it's like cotton candy. It just, you know, there's no substance to it. Paul's example shows us that it is possible to be culturally relevant without compromising the message of truth that God has entrusted to us to share with other people. Look, if you really want to see your pre Christian family and friends find out about Jesus and learn what it is to walk with Him, you need to be willing and able to share the message of love and hope found in Christ by communicating the truth in love to them. Now, of course, we need to be sensitive, not only to the people we're talking to. It's not an open-mouth, insert Bible kind of a thing. You know, I've, I've met all kinds of people over the years, and I've probably done it myself without even realizing where you're just too blunt and people like, you know, and again, other times, we need to wait on the Lord. That's why we each have a personal relationship with God, where we need to wait and let the Holy Spirit guide us and show us there is an opportunity there, Jer. You can talk to this person now. Don't you see by what they just said? Maybe you've had that experience, I have, where God just shows me this is an opportunity. You can bring something up. You can connect them, connect with them and help them. Again, the question is, when that moment comes, will you be ready? Will you be willing to share the truth in love? Now, by the way, there are other techniques, and techniques come and go. But I think it's safe to say that techniques, you know, again, are not what we're looking for here. Uh, take, for example, guilt inducement. Well, what I really want for my birthday, honey, is if you would come to church with me. Okay. You know that one? Okay, sorry, if you've played that card before. Guilt inducement can work temporarily, but it brings what I call synthetic change. It isn't lasting. It's just a temporary kind of a thing, but it doesn't last. What we want is legitimate, from the inside out, decision-making on the part of those who we care about. Isn't that true? Hey, the last point I want to make here is this, and that is that, you know, besides caring about the lost and connecting with people, communicating the truth and love, you need to commit to relationships that will last. Look at this next section of verses. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, "We want to hear you again on this subject." At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. You know, the responses that Paul received for his efforts varied. Some of them just straight up rejected his message. They didn't care for it at all. They made fun of him as they walked away. They sneered. When was the last time you used that word, sneer? Isn't that a good word? <laughs> but they, they basically were making fun of him. They just blew him off like, okay, whatever. Others said, we want to hear you again on that subject. Now, it's interesting because they weren't ready to commit themselves to Christ at that point, but they were at least open to further conversation. Do you have friends like that? A few actually ended up believing, like this, these two people that are highlighted here in this story. Later, by the way, church history tells us that this man, Dionysius and Damaris, this lady, became leaders in a church that ended up being formed in the city of Athens at that time. You know, the responses that you and I will have when we share our faith with other people will be very similar to Paul's. Some people will just reject what you have to say and even make fun of you in the process. But you know, like Jesus, who was despised and rejected by people, you can take heart because you can know that, hey, I did my part, I sowed that seed. Others are really interested in what you have to say, but aren't ready to make a commitment yet. But how many of you know that many people need time? They need space, they need maybe some extra life experiences before they're going to be really open to hearing and responding to the gospel message. And there may be even a few that will believe and start following. They'll start coming to church, and that's an exciting experience when that occurs. But a big key to this process is the relationship that you and I have with those people. See, I'm convinced the longer I live that, again, like this next point shows here, you can never make a lasting impact without lasting contact. There are a lot of formulas that have come out over the years. Two popular ones uh, for the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years include, for example, one by the Navigators, a Christian organization called the Bridge to Life. And it looks kind of like this, where you could draw it in a book or draw it on a napkin. And, you know, diagrams can be helpful. Some people learn that way better. It's easy. You can cut to the chase and... And and help people understand. There's there's another one. It used to be called the four spiritual laws. Now it's called. Would you like to know God personally? Uh, you know the, these are from Campus Crusader Christ Christ, now called Crew. And and again, there's value in these kinds of formulas. But the problem is that how many of you have discovered that prepackaged monologues don't work with a lot of people today? They don't. They can help, but. What I've discovered is that most people, in particular people that are educated, they prefer a dialogue. In fact, back in verse 17, it said when Paul was in Athens, he reasoned with the Greeks and the other people that were there in the marketplace. That Greek word is actually the word dialogos, where we get our word dialogue from. He was having a conversation with them. He wasn't just giving them a sales pitch. Do you follow me? I think the reality, though, is that formulas don't work all that well unless you have an ongoing relationship with the person you're sharing with. And that's because, look, friendship is more important than formulas. Would you agree? Friendship is more important. People need to know that you're not treating them like a project, that you're, a, that you're, you know, you're treating them like a person. Not like, well, I have like a to-do list and, well, I did my dip check. People don't want to feel it. Have you ever been treated that way before? Do you know what I'm talking about? You get this sense like, I'm just another thing that this guy is checking off his list. Don't, don't be that person. We need to care for people. Here's an important question to ask yourself. How many real friends do you have that are not Christians yet? All too often, what do we do? We often isolate ourselves, we insulate ourselves, because either we're afraid of those people that are out there, that their lifestyle, we don't like it, okay? And we're afraid that that lifestyle is gonna somehow drag us down. And so, because we don't wanna do that or hang out with somebody who does this or thinks this way, we just basically stop hanging out with them altogether. Statistics have been done on this for decades now. And it's proven that within the first 18 months, a year and a half of somebody committing their life to Christ, do you know what? Do you know how many non-Christian friends they have? Like zero. Unless, unless they're very intentional about it, about staying connected with people that still don't know the Lord. And that's why if we want to see people come to know Jesus, we need to get involved in their lives. Now, this can take on all kinds of forms. It could be at your kid's school, okay? It could be a sports thing. It could be over food, um, cook out by the beach, some social event at work. I mean, come on. There are lots of ways that we can connect with people outside the church. But we need to build those relationships with them. Some of you know, before I became a pastor, you know, I was a tennis coach for many years. When I became a pastor, it really hit me hard one day that I could spend all my time with Christians and not even think about it. You know, that I'm a pastor, right? I could spend all my time with Christians. But I, I, I got this strong sense from the Lord, you need to be very intentional when you play tennis, you need to play tennis with those pre-Christian friends that you have. And that's why till today, when I do play tennis, which isn't all that often, okay? But when I do, I play almost exclusively with people who don't know Jesus yet. And there's some guys that I've known for over 30 years that I still hang out with. I don't always like the jokes they tell or things like that, but you know what? I think it's fair to say that they would say, yeah, he's my friend. And there have been opportunities, and some of them have actually come to church here, which is very interesting if you knew who they were. (laughs) Think for a moment. Think for a moment. How did you come to know Jesus? I just want to kind of informal survey here. Okay, how did you come to know Jesus? Okay, here's the first option: A. TV. Anybody? TV. Online. Anybody? Radio. Okay. How about a pastor? Come on. Okay, one, two, three, four. Okay, good. Not bad. A pastor. How about a crusade, like Billy Graham or Greg Laurie? Is that any crusade? Okay. How about from a friend or a relative? Just look around. You see, this just, I, I didn't know this was gonna happen. This is totally spontaneous, but I'm just telling you that the reality is that 75 to 95% of people who have genuine conversions to Jesus do so because of a long term relationship from a Christian friend or relative. That's why. That's why we need to commit to relationships. That'll last. As the band comes, I'm going to tell you a story, true story. When Larry first moved into the dorm in college as a freshman, he met lots of new guys. Larry was a Christian, and he quickly realized that the guys in his dorm there, well, not very many of them were Christians. So he began to think about how he was going to reach out to them with his faith, and he began to pray about it because he knew that before you talk to people about God, you better talk to God about those people first. He found one guy that, like him, was into sports. In fact, uh, Larry was trying out as a walk-on for the sport of his choice, and this other guy was also the same way. It's hard to get a scholarship. This is a big university on the mainland, a D1, NCAA, D1 school. Both of them were trying. They were on different sports teams, so there was no you know, inherent competition. But they began to get to know one another and hang out and spend time. Eventually, Larry came into the guy's room one day and began to talk with him about Jesus. And the guy actually indicated that he was interested but for various reasons, he didn't really follow through, and eventually they moved out of the dorm and kind of lost touch. What Larry never ended up finding out is that about four years later, that guy that he had talked to there in that dorm became a Christian. In fact, some years later, that guy would not only became a Christian, he became a pastor. You know how I know that's true? Because that guy was me that guy was me. And that's why I want to challenge you and make you think hard about the people you know. The reality is is that many of us need numerous exposures to the love and message of Jesus before we're ready to commit ourselves to him. As I've thought back on that many many, you know, decades now I've thought, how did God do that? He he did that kind of like sowing a lay, one flower at a time. He used bedtime stories, prayers from my mom, Sunday school teachers that probably had to put up with a you know, rascally guy like me, okay? books that I read, friends that I dealt with, circumstances I went through until I finally came to the point of saying, I want to follow Jesus. Do you know somebody like that? Do you want them to come to know him? You need to commit yourself to Christ and ask him to help you to do that. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege, Lord, of being entrusted with your message of hope. I pray for every person here tonight, Lord, that you'd speak to their hearts. And for those that might not yet know you or need to recommit themselves to you, I pray that they would turn to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.